Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi, I'm Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for stopping by. You know, the concept of the Business Growth Cafe really was founded on the idea that we is sitting at a coffee shop or a juice store or someplace where we could sit down and have a conversation and have one of our favorite beverages, whether it's a soda, a coffee, a cold coffee, a juice, or whatever it happens to be. And you know, like I know, that if we're sitting at those stores, how are we drinking that? Especially if it's cold, through a straw. That's right, a plastic straw. Now, in some states across the country, plastic straws have been banned, and now we're drinking through paper straws. And if you've had the experience of drinking through a paper straw, you know it gets soggy. Personally, I'd rather drink out of the glass, take my chances with God knows what, if they didn't clean the glass correctly with COVID and all sorts of other craziness that goes on. I'd almost rather take that, right? A little Russian roulette as opposed to drinking through a paper straw. I don't know about you, but that sogginess, ah, it just doesn't fit for me. But let's go back to plastic. I mean, I'm sitting on the beach in Cabo drinking a pina colada with my straw and having a great time. But little did I know that when that straw was done and how it was disposed, the damage it was doing to our environment. I just didn't know, I wasn't aware. I mean, I do recycling at home, but I, I didn't really think about the plastic straw that was being thrown away at one of those establishments, or frankly, where I ever maybe tossed it into a can as I was walking down the street. Plastic straws are among the top 10 contributors to plastic marine debris around the globe. That's unbelievable to me. Estimates on how long plastic endures ranges from 450 years to forever in some situations, right? It doesn't degrade, it just hangs around. As a matter of fact, the one that scares the you-know-what out of me is this one. Research shows that microplastics are in our drinking water, our food, and in our bodies, right? This is really troubling. And by 2050, virtually every seabird species on the planet will have eaten some kind of plastic, right? So eventually, the, the, the plastics are being eaten by the fish, right? And, and the micro uh, pieces of plastic are getting in them. And then in turn, we're eating that and we're getting infected. So that's just crazy to me, just crazy. And, and I want to know who is going to do something about it. Who is taking up the charge to deal with this situation? My guest is Paul Brudreau, the CEO of EarthPack. They are a bioplastics manufacturer, right? So they deal in non-plastic. The, the, the materials that their straws are made of really is plant-based as opposed to petroleum-based. And Paul's company has a particular mission, and that's to create a world where consumption leaves no footprint and to keep 25 billion plastic pieces from reaching the oceans and landfills by 2025. This is going to be a very interesting conversation, actually beyond the fact of, of a business aspect and growing a business and, and picking a new product line. But the fact is, it is important to us as humans on this planet. So sit back, relax, grab a drink, but not a straw, unless you're drinking from an earth path straw. I'll be right back. At Kraft, 
Our team of marketers provide consulting, interim, fractional, and leadership services focusing on the strategic and analytical side of marketing, and we take a holistic view to drive business growth. We are marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, competition, and the market to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. We call them marketing blueprints. Companies work with us when they need to launch, scale, or even pivot their business. By understanding how your company is positioned and perceived in the marketplace, we can help craft your messaging to be more relevant to your customers based on their needs, wants, motivations, and behaviors to ensure your marketing investment is optimized. After all, you wouldn't build a house without a blueprint, so why are you building your business without one? To learn more, visit craftmarketingarchitects.com. As I mentioned, I'm with Paul Boudreau, the CEO of Earthpack. And Paul's mission is to leave no footprint when it comes to consumption about plastics and what's happening in the world. Paul, welcome to the Business Growth Cafe. Thanks for inviting me, Angelo. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited you can be here. I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. We are going to be changing the world together today. Um, at least I'm going to support you in changing the world. And in a few seconds, we'll tell the audience how we're going to do that. But before we kind of get it going on the conversation, why don't you tell the audience about yourself and Earthpack? Yeah, thanks. Um, so way back when, 1984, I graduated from engineering school, mechanical engineering with a uh, minor in plastics engineering. Had no idea what I was going to do with that. Uh, but I was destined to, uh, to change the world somehow. I knew that some way, shape or form, I, would, I was going to do that um, only because my professors gave me that kind of um, confidence in, in what we had learned at the school that we went to and, and uh, what we were supposed to do. So I thought I'd get into automotive, uh, loves cars, but uh, that was not the path I took. I actually got into plastics because of my minor in plastics engineering and made a 30 plus year career out of uh, producing some of the most complicated, challenging uh, plastic products uh, known to man. Okay. You know, um, we talk about plastics and certainly there's a, a lot of industry and consumer and environmental concerns about plastic use. And we'll get to that in a minute. But you had a really interesting line uh, when I was doing some research on you. And it said, when I started in the plastics industry, I had a goal to leave my mark on the industry, which you just said. Little did I realize that making my mark, I also left a scar on the planet. I thought that was just very profound. So you kind of dig into that a little bit? Yeah. So um, when I first started my professional career, I had a couple of small jobs in the engineering field, but I really started to have an impact when I went to work for a company called Husky Injection Molding Systems. They're headquartered up in Toronto at the time, probably the largest, if not second uh, largest injection molding equipment supplier in the industry. And for six years, I was their engineering manager of their packaging division. And uh, for six years, I basically made a career out of um, putting some of the largest plastic 
producers um, in business and in 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 a very um, affluent way. So things like yogurt cups and dairy containers, um, PET preforms, and you know blown bottles, industrial containers, five gallon pails. That was Husky's forte, still is to some degree. And my role was really to make true on the promises that the sales guys uh, made to their customers. And it was things like, you know, we will make you 20% more efficient. We'll reduce, you know, your cycle times. We'll do all these things. But in the end, it was all about increasing the amount of plastic parts that were being produced. Um, and really got to work with some pretty large customers uh, by being in that position. But I, I, I don't consider that I was a, call it a tree hugger or anything like that, but it, there was something that was gnawing at me. And, you know, at my core, when I was younger, I think um, I did a lot of hiking. I did a lot of camping, I, you know, in the, in the Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, that whole thing. I uh, really enjoyed tackling some of the mountains. I live in New England, some of the mountains in New England. And, and I, I, did, I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was something that just didn't feel right about what I was doing. I remember vividly, I used to have a commute from my home to my uh, place of work. It was probably a 30-minute commute. And I would literally pull over on a highway because I would see these five gallon pails on the side of the road that may have fallen out of a contractor's truck or whatever. And I would pull over, probably putting my life at risk, but didn't think about it back then, to pick up these five gallon pails and just throw them in my trunk. And when I got to work, um, we had a place where we would recycle some of the product that we made through our uh, system testing. And didn't even think about anything of it, but uh, there was definitely something inside of me that hadn't yet come out that came out when I turned 50 years old. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. You're putting yourself at risk, picking up pails. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, as I remember as a, a kid, I had a job of working for the city and we had to go onto the freeways, highways, I guess, where I go to upstate New York and we were picking up trash and stuff. And these cars would come whizzing by like, you know, they could care less that you were standing there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I I know what that's like. <laughs> so so you started off in in kind of the plastics business, but but then you you started your own business, and I believe that was called Innovation Innovative Mold Solutions. Solutions. Yeah. Now was that still in the plastics arena, or were you starting to make this change into compostables? No. So we're still in. You know, guys, I term them petroleum-based plastics, okay. right, as opposed to plant-based plastics. Um, so we're still in the petroleum-based plastics field. Uh, innovative Mold Solutions started 1997, um, and we saw a need within, from my work at Husky, I saw that these plastic injection molding companies, uh, as the best of the best, were very... Um, good at manufacturing, but their knowledge of injection molding systems, their knowledge of process uh, optimization, their knowledge of even product design from a process perspective uh, wasn't 
where it needed to be. So we saw our need in the market. It was a way for us to get started as engineers. There were four of us that broke off um, as a result of Husky actually transitioning all of their business back up to Canada that we were down in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, so it, it was kind of a, you know, a, a very uh, amicable departure from Husky. We fulfilled what we needed to do for them to be done with that business down here. And actually Husky became a great customer of ours because they used us as an engineering resource uh, on projects that um, they just needed to pull in outside sources for. And we grew from being an engineering, sort of a consulting firm mm -hmm. to uh, designing systems and handing that off to our customer to then designing systems and actually integrating those systems within our facility to eventually becoming a, a contract manufacturing company that was taking those systems that we designed for our customers. And we, be, we were their um, kind of their captive uh, contract manufacturer for products in the medical field. Uh, big project for us was a, a uh, company called Songbird Hearing, disposable hearing aids, uh, very small, intricate plastic products. Great product. I always, we always had this filter uh, within the business that we had to believe in the product mm -hmm. for us to take on a project and not just believe in it from the, the financial revenue that it could bring into the business, but we really had to feel good about what we were producing. And, you know, with the high cost of hearing aids back in, the day and even worse today. Yeah, I was gonna say they're uh, high today too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last thing you want to do is put a four thousand dollar hearing aid into typically, you know, your 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 guys our age into your parents' hands or your grandparents or people who are elderly that may uh, may mistakenly flush them down the toilet and you're out <laughs> eight thousand bucks, right? <laughs> so this thing cost about. Uh, it actually came out of the Bulsh and Law model of, you know, contact lenses about a mm -hmm. dollar a day. Uh, it was that same model where if you bought a disposable hearing aid, it would last about 45 days to 60 days and it cost 50 bucks. And uh, it was a great project for us where we felt like we we're contributing. I felt like I was fulfilling my, my legacy that I perceived was mine from going to college and changing the world. We were making some, we were making products that made the world a better place, but there was still that gnawing piece of every 45 to 60 days, this thing is going in trash yeah. and we we're making hundreds of thousands of these on a monthly basis. So, you know, you start adding those up and looking at what kind of volume that is taking up in they go in a landfill or incineration, but either way, not very good. Well, certainly, you know, from the millions of pieces, billions of pieces of plastics that are you know, ending up in landfills, I can see based on your thinking, just even yeah. that contribution, you know, adds to that plastics footprint, if you will, that uh, you want to mitigate. You know, a lot of times when we start a business or we have an idea, there's that kind of aha moment. And so now you're going from I'm going to move you forward in time from yeah. plastics manufacturer. Then you have a aha moment. And now you're moving into plant-based home compostable plastic like products. 
Yeah. And so what, what was that motivation? What was the stimulation that drove you there? So there's a, there's a long story. If you go on Earthpack's website, I think we, we kind of have a nice written version of that story and I, I won't get into the details there, but it, Pretty much uh, a friend of mine uh, who was acting as a business coach to me had challenged me. Uh, I was about to turn 50 years old. And he says, hey, you know, you, you reached the halfway point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's a good way to look at your career. You know, yeah. you, you grow up from zero to 25, from 25 to 50. I was working, maybe work another 50 to 75. I'm in no rush to stop working. And then, you know, spent the last 25 years. Uh, getting old, I guess, but, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, and, uh, he challenged me, he says, you know, 50 years old, what do you, what are you thinking you're going to do in the second half of your work career? And really good question to ask, right? Because I think I, at least me being a, an engineer, I was thinking very linearly that it was just a straight line from beginning to end, mm -hmm. but having that mindset of, you know, okay, 25 years I've been in the industry, I've been in, I've been working, I've been learning everything that I've learned, both from a technical as well as relationship management uh, piece, how do you get along with other people, and to think, okay, now what can I do for the next 25 that really leverages that first 25 years versus looking at it as, you know, the people I went up the hill, now I'm going to coast down the hill. I, I, I don't buy that, right? So he, he challenged me to think of what I wanted to do for the next 25 years. And that was too big a bite for me. And so then he said, all right, I got a better idea. I was going on vacation and he said, I want you to write your epitaph. I want you to write your eulogy, what people are going to be saying about you when you're in a box. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, I don't think I've ever, heard, I don't think I've ever heard that said. I, it was haunting. And huh. um, so that ate at me, but kind of the law, the short story of it is it got me to realize that these little nuances that were eating at me when we designed the disposable hearing aid or the work that I had done you know, improving the productivity of these cutlery tools for Georgia Pacific or all this stuff was like, even though it was subconscious, it was screaming at me that this is, this is not what I want. I had this funny visual, you know, anyone old enough to know who John Belushi is and I'm finding about half the people on this planet do and half don't. <laughs> That's how old I'm getting. But yeah. John, John Belushi had, you know, had this, Thing that when he passed away, people would go to his gravesite. I think it was his birthday or the anniversary of his, his death, drink a beer and in his name, crush the beer can and throw it on his gravesite. And um, yeah, kind of cool. Um, I had this vision that, you know, my my eulogy every year on the anniversary of my my passing, people are going to take all the discarded single use plastic that I was so good at producing and throw it on my gravestone and you know, just <laughs> heaps of plastic on my gravesite so then you become a landfill <laughs> yeah yeah the landfill becomes my exactly yeah yeah so um so shortly after that i i got invited to participate in this project which was to develop a single use single serve coffee pod the most people know them as k-cups um but the roasters that i was dealing with were very highly value driven 
family-owned businesses like San Francisco Bay Coffee and Cameron's Coffee, deep, passionate connection to, you know, having meaning, not just being a business, but have meaning and in, in, in value uh, beyond just the coffee they make. And they did not want to get in the single-serve coffee business if it meant every time someone enjoyed the convenience of a single cup of coffee that a K-cup would go into landfill. And they challenged mm-hmm. us to produce us with another company called uh, Ultraflex. Good friend of mine, Todd Addison, uh, got me involved in, in collaboratively. We developed the first single-use, single-serve coffee pod that goes in a Keurig brewer. You can buy it, you know, San Francisco Bay Coffee, Cameron's Coffee. Uh, and when you're done with it, you put it into a compost pile, uh, it will naturally biodegrade. And as I do them at home in 90 days, th- that material, because it's plant-based, has gone back to the earth. So so let's, let's for the audience and for those that, that may not know, let's talk a little bit about what is compostable materials. Yeah, good question. So um, the last thing that we want to do as an industry is greenwash, right? Greenwashing means I say something is, you know, oxo-degradable and the consumer doesn't even know what that means. Uh, but unfortunately, what it means is the plastic will break down, but it will still be plastic. And now it's small enough that it gets into our water streams, then eventually ends up in our food supply because the fish you know, eat it or, or algae grows on it. And then the fish eat the algae and then we eat salmon and can't figure out why we, uh, we get cancer so quickly, you know, or whatever. So biodegradable is, is different. Biodegradable, which is also compostable, is that it will naturally break down. And the reason it breaks down is as a baseline of material, instead of using petroleum, which the traditional plastics are made from, we're starting off with a baseline of plants, right? And we take those plants, one process we extract out of those plants, a material through fermentation called PLA, polylactic acid, but it's still a plant-based derivative. We're able to mold that. So when that product ends up in a compost pile, which means basically that it's active, that there's microorganisms, the microorganisms see that as a food source, eat the plastic and then naturally leave behind compost, which is healthy and active for, for the soil. Okay. The, you know, and I'll probably get these numbers wrong, but you know, when I think about plastics and, you know, I think about a plastic degrading, you know, I've seen numbers like what, 27,000 years or some crazy amount of time, but on, on your products, for example, and the products you make, we're, we're talking like 90, 60, 90 days kind of thing, right? I mean, it's yeah. fast. It's really fast. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I, I heard a statistic that it, to me makes perfect sense when you understand this material or, or the, the parameters around these materials. But every single pallet of plastic that has been produced since 1900 is still on this planet today. Because plastic was, is not designed by nature, it's designed by man. Mm-hmm. And it was designed intentionally to have a bond amongst itself that was virtually indestructible. So if you think of the early uh, products that were made from plastic and why plastic was invented, 
you know, Tupperware is probably the most common thing that we can relate to. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have my grandmother's Tupperware still. It just <laughs> never breaks down. It, it, it's, it's, it was to take the place of glass. And it's actually better than glass because if you drop it on the floor, it either doesn't shatter or you don't put a big dent in your floor from those heavy Pyrex dishes, right? So plastic was designed to last forever. And that was its attribute. Unfortunately, along the way, uh, manufacturing lost sight of that. And it became a very quick and easy material to make products out of. And now that we're in this heavily consumption segment of of our life cycle as humans, plastic is used predominantly for packaging mm-hmm. and packaging well, the, it, yeah uh, i mean all the clamshells and all the things we see that you know you take home from the restaurants or buy in stores i mean there's tons of it yep there's uh what has been the as you've grown now you kind of transition right to earth pack is your is the primary company now yeah what, what's been the biggest challenge in growing the business Make so sure. in particular so earth pact i mean so i'm going to do the earth pact but then i'm going to okay. do business okay. in general right because earth pact is unique and, and what i've learned is i think i always wanted to be a pioneer right i thought that okay. would be so cool you know <laughs> to be the first to you know hop on a on a on a horse with your buddy and make it across the United States and end up in California. I mean, that just seems so cool. Um, And in many ways, Earth Pact is a pioneer within this space of biodegradable, compostable. Um, We don't have a plastic or a single use product problem. We have a material selection problem. That whole education piece um, comes with being a pioneer. And there's a lot of resistance that um, you would just think, you know, we came out with our first, you know, right here, home compostable drinking straw, a simple, simple product, right? I mean, doesn't get any easier than this. This is what I, this is not what I was thinking when I graduated from engineering school with, <laughs> with a major and a minor and said, I'm going to, I'm going to make see, a straw. heart valve drinking straw. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. But, but because of the, the fact that we're pioneering, right, in, in really making sure that people understand what this material change can mean for the planet. And if we can get ourselves to understand that the big problem is thermoplastic materials, you know, petroleum-based thermoplastic materials. That's the problem because they were designed to last forever and get people to understand that we can make that same. I mean, these drinking straws, many people will say they're they're as good or better than a plastic straw and they certainly are much better than a paper straw, mm-hmm. right? So there's no compromise, um, but there's a huge education. Being a pioneer um, comes with a lot of work. Yeah. Well, you know, anytime you're you're kind of changing the market, changing the dynamics and, and really cate- building a category that the role of education falls on you. 
That's right. And so there's, and, and I would imagine now you're not selling direct to consumers, right? You're selling to businesses. Yeah. We made a decision that um, in, in there's manufacturing and then there's distribution. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we first started, we thought, I guess we're going to become a brand, right? We're going to have our own branded straw. And it, per, my perception was the distribution, the getting the product out there, yes, that, that sounds pretty easy. And if there's anything I've ever learned or, or want to share, <laughs> is anything that seems easy that someone else is making a business out of, they're working their butts off just as hard as you are. Yeah. Right? So I had a good friend of mine that, I don't know, use this line long before everyone else did, but his his favorite line, a customer of mine, is stay in your lane, right? Just stay yep. in your lane. And there's a lot of value to that saying of we're really good at engineering, contract manufacturing, material development, process optimization. That's a big big enough bite as a business. Yeah, I call it uh, the shiny penny syndrome where you tend to start just thinking something else is better. By pivoting yeah. left and right, and then next thing you know, you've kind of lost sight on what your 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 primary goals are. Yeah, you know, one of the the stats that I saw was that you know from talking about drinking straws that there's over 500 million straws used daily. I mean that that's unbe- it's unbelievable, but it 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 makes sense. I mean, really, any environment where there's a, some kind of beverage, there's a potentially a straw involved. And, and now we, we're seeing also experiencing and talk about education, a lot of bans on single use plastic in some of the states and, and then some within cities within some of the states. So it's not this universal thing. It's kind of scattered around the country. But m- my perception is it's coming. It's a slow it's, you know, the, the rock's been dropped in the pond and the ripples are starting to go out. And, yeah. and as uh, one state or one city has an experience, somebody's going to capitalize on their uh, experience and kind of adopt that. So on the flip side, that sounds good for Earthpack. Sure. Yeah. As far as we, the, those bands, but again, back to education. So uh, bands are certainly helping us uh, to, and not so much because um, I'm not a big proponent of bands, right? Because bands can be a little too short-sighted. Right. If there's a problem, just stop using it. Well, mm-hmm. it's not that easy. Right. There's 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 people from, you know, within ADA, they've made it clear that there's people who need straws. Right. And 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 not that, you know, we're these spoiled Americans and no, don't take my straw away from me. It, I want my nice white teeth. And if I drink my coffee without a straw, I, I don't have white teeth. You know, there's there's those stories as well. But to me, if the solution to the problem, if all we can come up with is elimination, we really haven't thought about it hard enough. And, and, and I, you know, the fact that we're making straws is, is a little bit of a joke amongst my peers, right? Because, you know, come all this way to, to I finally made it. I'm making straws. Um, but but it's 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 really, you know, previews of coming attractions is what I, I call it. It's it, it gets a message out to the masses. Right. Mm-hmm. That if I have this straw and I read it, and I go, wait a minute, this straw will actually biodegrade and disappear, even if it ends up in the oceans 
in as little as 90 days, that's that's as much messages to the masses to make me go, if I, me, Paul Engineer, would go, well, if they can make straws out of this, why can't they make water bottles out of this? Mm-hmm. And if they can make water bottles out of this, why can't they make, you know, um, all the other trash I see, those those little dental things that I see on the side of the road oh, out yeah. of this. So all the trash that we see. And, and to me, that's the message we're trying to get across is we don't have a single use product problem. The, the, the plastic bag uh, is not the problem. The problem is the material that we're making these products out of. If we didn't have packaging, plastic packaging, we couldn't feed the world, right? Plastic mm-hmm. has done an enormous benefit to food freshness and transportation and all those kind of things that, you know, it, so keep that going, right? We don't want to go backwards and ban plastic. And next thing you know, well, now, you know, food is spoiling and we can't get food to these countries that need it. Now we just, okay, fine, that, you know, the sea turtles are happy, but people are dying from starvation. So vans don't, in my heart, don't, don't solve the problem. They, they do communicate, right? They do bring awareness and I'm all for that, but then allow that awareness to go, no, wait a minute, let's be smart about this. Let's, let's change the material and get on with life. Well, that's interesting too, because I mean, it's, and like, you know, I'm in California and next thing you know, all of a sudden I'm being you know taxed on my plastic bag. And then, you know, there some of the stores are eliminating plastic and they're going to paper. Some are making you bring your own stuff, which I always forget because I got like nine bags in the trunk of my car and I forget to bring them in every time. Yeah. But to your point, instead of saying, let's just get rid of it, let's just make it out of a different material because it is whether it's convenience or, you know, an easy way to move from one place to the other, carrying things in a sack, it makes a lot of sense. Do you, you, I mean, most consumers, I'm going to make a broad statement, uh, listeners out there, I don't want any any hate mail when I say this, but most of us, I'll include myself, don't really know the difference, right? I mean, that's your product. I mean, looks, feels, handles, drinks, just like a straw we've been used to, correct? Yeah. 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 And that, that one of our issues of being a pioneer is perception is reality. Mm-hmm. And if it's too good to be true, people doubt it. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, first thing I get when I hand these straws to people um, are in no way, no way. They literally, my mother included, don't believe me. Right? <laughs> and, and unfortunately, uh, any video, any videographers out there that want to take on the challenge, help me to show something that is disappearing, right? You get those fast forward videos where yeah. you can see the skyscraper building being built over time. If something's disappearing, it's, it's a lot less uh, believable, I guess. Yeah. Right? Well, it's you're watching something not happen. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I didn't really think yeah. about that. Right. It's uh yeah. The Incredibly Shrinking Man or whatever that old movie yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's, it's like anticlimactic. <laughs> right? But, uh, but you know, we certainly have attempted on a website. We do have a, a, a video that shows the straw breaking down in the ocean, and it's kind of boring. 
but uh, aside of that, um, being disbelievable requires us to then have some who says so beside you. Mm-hmm. And there's certifying bodies out there. So anything that you see that is says compostable on it, you know, the cutlery you get from the local store or whatever it is, um, typically you'll see BPI, which is Biopolymers Institute. Um, and their job primarily is to be a third party that certifies that what we're saying as a manufacturer and what we're giving to our brand owners and what they're saying to their end customers is backed up by a third party certification. Okay. So I've heard uh, coffee pods, I've heard straws. What are some of the other kinds of products that you make or could make for that matter? Yeah. Yeah. The, so the, the shiny penny, I, I use the shiny dime, but you know, one of, one of the challenges of being an entrepreneur is you, I, I think, you know, you, the wheels are always spinning, right. And the wheels mm-hmm. are always turning as to, Oh my God, I, I, I could solve that problem. I could solve this problem. I could solve that problem. And right now we're, we've got five major products, you know, all within that coffee single serve coffee pods, uh, degassing valves that go on. Um, if you buy a one pound bag of coffee, ground or whole bean coffee, uh, my friend I talked about earlier, Todd Addison, his company, Ultraflex, developed a bag that's compostable and there's a degassing valve that's applied, it's injection molded. And uh, we produce those to be compostable as well. So the entire bag, after you're done with your coffee, throw it into your compost bin or that little black bin that you can buy over at Lowe's or Home Depot and break down your food scraps and, and these things will just naturally uh, disappear. Um, the, the what can be, man, it's, 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 it's incredible how much there is. Anything that is food contact is a good candidate because you're going to see um, in Vermont right here in New England, um, they basically are pretty, I think they're pretty much done where they mandated that uh, any restaurants and food service providers need to separate their food scraps from their trash scraps. Mm-hmm. And when they did that and they, they incentivized these places to do that. So if you got your, your landfill trash picked up, it cost you X amount of dollars per ton. When you got your food scraps picked up, it cost you 20% of X amount of dollars to be picked up. So you saved money by doing the separation. But state of Vermont, I think they reduced their landfill growth by over 50% by oh. simply making sure that food scraps go to compost and trash goes to trash. And being, you know, the big challenge is fine. That's easy for someone to do back a house. But how do you get that to happen front of the house? So anything mm-hmm. that's food contact is good. Cutlery, you know, bowls, any to-go type containers uh, are great candidates for compostability because with the food scraps goes this, you know, imagine going to Taco Bell and everything you throw, whether it's trash or compost, it's the same thing because it would all naturally break down when it got to the compost facility. Well, there's an incentive right there, I would imagine, for a lot of restaurants, let's say, that in a QSR standpoint, I, you know, I, I know that 
and I probably have been guilty of it. You know, you just kind of toss everything into one bin because you don't think about it. And, you know, so that kind of awareness and a lot of that awareness, you know, that's probably not companies like yourself per se, but it's actually the the brands themselves that need to promote and, and, yeah. and try to educate at that level. I mean, it's, it's a lot of uh, to undertake as a, as a, a single organization to be responsible for educating the world. So it's uh, so somehow we have to get the points of contact, the touch points was us as consumers and the where we are consuming to have that education. Did the did the the pandemic help or hurt? Back? Uh, all of the above. Uh, <laughs> so initially helped tremendously. Um, it's interesting how many businesses, you know, thrived in, in a, a time in our lives where all we could do is stay home, and uh, so coffee consumption just went up. 30% uh, in the United States out of boredom, out of people not going to the Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks of the world as they went into the office or even drinking the office coffee. So coffee consumption went up and that was good for our, for the products we were making, the compostable pods. Um, cutlery that we were producing prior to the pandemic um, was for meals to go out of a uh, grocery store chain and that that halted right people weren't going to going places where you, you know <laughs> the buffet and, and picking out your own food and creating your own little meals to go thing so um but and then uh the you know the the our government stepping up on the, the ppp side of of business and providing uh uh, financial assistance to, to businesses that were keeping their employees employed, which we were, um, even if it meant very minimal productive jobs, but we were fortunate where we have uh, in a manufacturing world for us to have employees that have been with us for 20 plus years is wow. typically unheard of. And uh, it's just something that we strongly believe in and made sure that, you know, Anybody that had committed to us, we were able to keep them employed and financially, you know, stable through a very uncertain time. That's great. Well, congratulations on that. I know that it's for a lot of companies that was difficult to do, and and a yep. lot of people got you know laid off and furloughed at that point in time. Yeah. In hindsight, would you do anything different? Um, yeah, a, a lot of, I mean, not well, many things, you know, you learn, you know, it, I always say there's, you know, a lot of learning to be done on the mistakes you make. And if you mm -hmm. don't learn, then they're mistakes. If you do, they're learning opportunities. And, um, I think when we first started this venture of bioplastics, um, I have a, I forget what book it's from, but um, it's a great saying. My opinion, though interesting, is irrelevant. And you think, you know, and we're a smaller company, right? I'm the CEO. So a lot of times I felt like I better know the answer. My team is 
relying on me to know these answers. And if, and if I could do things differently, I definitely would have um, talked to a lot more people um, downstream. You know, as simple as the straw was, and we did have, you know, uh, a customer lined up to take our straws, the pandemic took them out of the game for a period, long period of time. But, um, you know, there's just, just because I think it's a good idea, um, there's, there's a lot more insight you can gain from just asking other people more questions. Yeah, well, I, you know, part of my uh, background is research and, and having conversations with the marketplace is, is something I strongly believe in. That I had a uh, an incubator guy, startup guy on the, the podcast last week and and throughout the podcast, he would, we would say, you know, what, what's the biggest mistake that, you know, entrepreneurs make in, across the board? And I framed it up several different times in different ways throughout the podcast, but it all boiled down to not doing enough research and understanding <laughs> the market and demand in the market. They, you know, had a great idea. They rolled it out and, you know, did that, uh, build it and they will come from, you know, field to dream. I call it the field to dream syndrome, right? <laughs> Everybody's going to love it. I'm going to build it. They're going to come. They're going to buy a million of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've got a, I got a whole, I got a whole garage full of uh, t-shirts and uh, hoodies that uh, I, my son convinced me to start uh, an apparel company, him and his buddies, the bank of dads got together and same thing, right? We were just so convinced that, you know, they knew what they were talking about. We bankrolled them. We've got thousands of shirts and, you know, then they didn't sell hardly any of them. <laughs> Good learning experience, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I sell them, I sell them for a buck every time I do a garage sale. <laughs> yeah well better t-shirts than injection molding machines and extrusion lines right well, that's I, that's very true there. that's very true your investment is way more than mine <laughs> <laughs> so as we're kind of winding down yeah what inspires you now I, I know what inspired you to do this but what inspires you every day when you wake up what what gets you going what do you what drives you yeah, you know, I, I've always been challenged uh, with those, you know, what's your purpose and what's, what's your mission and what's your vision? And uh, in those, those, anytime I came across those kind of exercises, man, I just stared at my pen hovering on top of a piece of paper and other people, you know, writing like crazy. And, 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 I, and I really struggle with that. And I think what finally made me, understand what my purpose was is understanding what it's not right mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily for me and i think for a lot of people i think a lot of people confuse what they enjoy doing with what their purpose is or what their passion is you know so many greats and if you studied the greats just were in such turmoil but they just had to fulfill that mission and I think the misconception is that you'll know your purpose, you'll know your vision or your mission, because um, you don't just feel good. You just you'll wake up in the morning and you can't wait to get to work. Well, I can't wait to go for a hike when I'm in, you know, Utah, which I just came back from. I can wait to get to work. <laughs> they call it work for a reason, right? And yet. What, what excites me is, is realizing that 
you know, remember the uh, Smokey the Bear commercial? Oh, only yeah, yeah. You, only you can prevent forest fires. That's right. I don't know if it's Stephen Wright or someone has had a thing, but me? <laughs> like, <laughs> is he talking to me? And, and, that, and that's where, I, where I'm at right now. I think we, many people live their lives thinking that it's going to be grand. There's going to be fireworks. There's going to be, you know, earthquakes or whatever. And then there's your, your purpose delivered to you. It can be, you know, that you're the best barista at Starbucks and your mission is to put a smile on mm -hmm. 10 people's faces. And, and if everyone did that, the world would be a much greater place. So for me to wake up, I don't, I don't wake up excited to get to my office and oh boy here i go i get to sit in on a you know an annual planning meeting where we can go over our ebitda and figure out what our gross margins are and but it's part of owning a business right, right. And, and all of it is ultimately when i sit back and go hmm, this uh, this isn't me right this if i take all the things that are happening in my life i could never have put all those pieces in place strategically to end up exactly where I'm at. So the belief that there's some higher power that's driving this, you're just going to be aware and open to taking the I out of the equation and just kind of look at more the world, you know, the, we're all human beings, right? And if we all just kind of help each other out during this journey, and certainly if, we don't have an earth that is um, habitable by by humankind. That's mm -hmm. that's my calling, right? That's my purpose is to eliminate that. You got, do you guys? And th I think this will probably be my parting question. But do, does Earthpack have its own mission? Yeah. So we we sum it up in one little catchphrase, which I I, I like. It's uh, where consumption leaves no footprint, and within the next. Uh, by 2028, we are committed to eliminating 25 billion pieces of single-use plastics from this planet. So we get up every morning with a lot of work to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody trying to steal your car out there? Uh, I'm in a, uh, an office park and someone that, that thing goes off every day. So oh, Sorry funny. Well, Paul, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much. It's uh, uh, very fascinating when I think about this change and, and just understanding, uh, you know, from plastic use into the compostable world. And, and if hopefully if we've done anything, we've brought a little education to the audience today. But I think, you know, the other side, too, is, you know, you went through a journey. There were things that inspired you from, from school to your first working for people to your first business to really to evolve into something. I won't call it completely different, but certainly in a different way to, to bring products um, that the world needs, but, but also to help the world, uh, you know, almost, almost like with every sip, you know, you're contributing mm -hmm. to the, to the yeah. planet. And I love that. Yeah. So how can the uh, audience, if they want to reach out to you, you know, want to connect on LinkedIn, want to, want to buy a product, want to have you make a product, you know, how do they reach you? Yeah. So probably the, Best place to start is on our website, earthpack.com, U-R-T-H-P-A-C-T.com. Uh, there's a you know call to action page there that you can reach out. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn, Paul Boudreau, um, CEO of Earthpack. 
uh, definitely would love to hear from people and um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be cliche and say, you know, follow your dreams and live your passion and all that. But, you know, in closing, I will say that for a guy like me, just a very pragmatic engineer, every one of us has a purpose in this world and every one of our purposes are intended to all commingle together, but to make the world a better place. So some people get to, you know, play uh, uh, stadium tours in front of 75,000 people and that's their calling and lucky them. Others get to go to work and run injection molding machines. Others get to, as I said earlier, be baristas at Starbucks. But yeah. every, every one of them, hey, we all know that if that barista, that barista can make or break your day in the morning. It's a big well, job. Yeah. And, and and I like when I talk to a lot of clients, I like to talk about that everybody in the company has that they have an understanding of their role and their contribution. Yeah. If we're not in silos. It's we're all synergistically working together. One person doesn't do or not know what they're supposed to be doing, how it contributes to somebody on the other side of the company. So there is that collaboration and yep. making sure that uh, that we're all moving forward in the same direction and, and, and wise words from you. Again, thank you so much for being on the Business Growth Cafe podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Angelo, for the uh, podcast. All right, all take right. care. Bye-bye. Paul, I want to thank you again for joining me here at the cafe. Um, I'm going to say I, I'm never going to you know drink from a plastic straw again after listening to this conversation. And I think it was an important one, not only from about your journey, in your mission and what inspires you and inspired you to do what you do. But hopefully we're inspiring others across the country, frankly around the world, because my listenership is in other countries, that they really think about the impact single-use plastic has on the environment and has on them and has on their friends, their family, their children, right? Their children's children. I, I like to say that what I do today is going to impact my kids and their kids and my grandkids. So we need to rethinking about that. So I really appreciate your time and sharing your story. And again, for you listeners out there, if you have an interest, if you have a restaurant, you have an establishment that uses straws, I encourage you to reach out to Paul and to Earthpack to find out about their products and how it can help your business, help present your corporate mission, your sustainability mission to be a better corporate citizen. And again, thank you for listeners out there. If you are a loyal listener, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you're new to the show, I appreciate your opportunity to join us today. It's a great time to join, great show to listen to. And I encourage you to go to uh, one of our links, sign up to become a subscriber so you get notified every time a show pops up. I want to thank you again to Paul and to you listeners out there. And don't forget to join me here next week at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.